So there's a couple of uh, Sundays throughout the year that are my favorite to be able to preach, just because of my nature. Easter, clearly, clearly. Uh, then, of course, Christmas Eve, when, you know, the evening, the lie of the world we celebrate, and today, because it's joy, and that's just part of my nature. I'm like a super optimist, you know, where, uh, you can ask my wife, my son. It's a little annoying, I know at times, uh, uh, but just the way that God wired me, like some people are like half empty glasses, and they're like, oh, and some people are half full glasses, they're like, oh, good, a glass. and I'm just like, there's a glass, that's... <laughs> That's my nature. So uh, it just resonates in my very spirit as we have this week of joy. And uh, in fact, my favorite hymn of all hymns, Joy to the World, because uh, there's a reason. Why? The Lord has come that we have a reason for this joy. It's not just false optimism uh, that we get to experience. And uh, I hope that today, as we go through the, the Word, uh, as we uh, experience the text together, the mystery and, and the, the blessing of the Incarnation is something that would lift you today. And, uh, and our anchor verse, really, for the series, I think really sets the foundation of this. Where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Right? Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, right? but will have the light of life. What an amazing promise. In this world, we talk about how dark it is. There's crime, and there's wars, and there's pestilence, and there's all kinds of lousy things that happen all of the time. And yet, God didn't abandon us to the darkness. In fact, He didn't just give us a glimpse of light. He is the light, and He has come. Ah, what an amazing thing. And uh, I think in order for us to really enjoy that light, you think about uh, if, if you have a light in your house, you turn on a, a light in your house because it's dark and you want to see things. You don't turn on the light in the bathroom if you want to see something in the living room, right? <laughs> like wherever the light is, that's where you can see. Uh, there's one this amazing thing that Jesus existed and he always has existed. We find that in the text, right? In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. But and the fact that there is light and that means that there's something amazing. There's a reason that, that uh, darkness is something that we don't like that the light exists, but how amazing is it the light has come into our world, into our lives, so that we don't have to walk in darkness. And what the promise is, is that we'll have not just light, but the light of life. Today, as we go through the text, I think we're going to see how this light elevates us and lifts us from even the despair, at which was inherently ours, as a fallen people before God. And how that changes us. In fact, how we can experience and renew that joy even as we leave this week. If you have your Bibles, please turn them to John chapter 1. It's where we've been as a foundation for this whole series. Like the Gospels, uh, Luke and the Gospel of Matthew really talk about the birth of Jesus in very human terms. The, how God came to this world and just the mystery historically how that happens. But John giving us that deeper theological heavenly perspective of the Gospel. And I think it's interesting as we read that gospel, have you noticed that those themes of Advent, it begins with the hope. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? It was with God in the beginning. But how we move from hope and then to peace, how God came into the world so that he could reclaim those that were his own, and, and that we could have peace with God. And, and the next part that we're reading today is, as you'll find, verses uh, 10 through 13, is how we end up having joy 
and why we have joy. And so let's begin here. It says, uh, this was the light, right? This is Jesus. He was in the world. Like, God has come. What an amazing thing. And it was talked about last week. I think Jesse did a really great job in the communion time explaining this, that if, if the king had come and yet came not in terms of peace, he came to judge, it would not be good news. But he came in terms of peace, which is wonderful. So he was in the world. And, and though the world was made by him, right? He's the guy, he's the creator, he made it all. The most astounding thing happened. The world did not recognize him. How frustrating. I mean, he announced his arrival for thousands of years to the prophets. I mean, very specific. There's over 300 prophecies, exactly who he would be, the town he would be born into, the family he'd be born under, right? All kinds of stuff. I mean, there's one person in all of human history that could ever fulfill this. There he was, and yet didn't recognize him. And I get it at first when he was a little baby in a manger, like, it doesn't look like a, a savior, but he did all these amazing things, raised people from the dead, made, you know, Fish sandwiches out of a tiny little, you know, Happy Meal. It was amazing what God had done. (laughs) He did remarkable things. God was amongst them and speaking truth and mercy and love and how he lived in absolute perfection. And even in spite of that, they still say crucify. But get this. Some recognized him, right? He came to that which is own. They didn't receive him. Yet to the all who did receive him. What a promise. To those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. That's joy. That is the most amazing thing. That God came into the world and not everyone has rejected him. And that there is a difference. And when you receive him, he doesn't just say not guilty. He says family. In fact, he goes on just to make that your children not born of natural descent. You don't have to be part of Jesus' lineage. In fact, you couldn't be. He didn't have kids. See, not of of human decision or a husband's will, but get this, born of God. That means in his family. What an audacious thing to be able to claim. You know, what family are you part of? You know, the Rothschilds, or I could be part of something, a big family. No, I'm part of God's family. That's a big deal. And to be able to claim that with a straight face, with all sincerity, is remarkable. And all we had to do is receive him. That is the cause of great joy. Verse 10, right? We have the incarnation. That Jesus actually came. And we have the rejection. And some didn't get him. And you know, we live in this world where so many are missing out on joy that they could have. If they would just receive him, recognize him. And not only is this the joy that's kind of like it's a fluttery kind of joy, like, oh, good, God came. No, that very, he changes who you are. He gives you a better identity and a much better hope, a much better future. You know, some people in the gospel narratives, especially in Luke, we read about this, who received this, who recognized him, right, and received this joy and recognized that God was doing something amazing were the least likely people that you would have expected. They were the the blue-collar workers. They weren't the scholars. They weren't the wealthy. They weren't the people traveling around to, you know, have to stay at hotels to get taxed. But these are the guys that were just out there with their sheep, 
kind of in a really low-level position. In fact, sheep could be kind of dirty and stuff, so they had to live out on their own. Most people didn't like talking to them. If, if you, you know, were a gal and you were going to be married to a shepherd, that was kind of like, oh, I was going to get married to a low-status guy. He's going to be gone most nights. Smells like sheep all the time. Not a great life. <laughs> and yet, these guys who were forgotten, thrown out by society, they were the ones who were the first outside of the Holy Family who received Jesus and experienced inexplicable joy. We read about them in the Gospel of Luke, this, what we saw here, this joy that John promises. Now let's go back from a human perspective. What does it look like? See, the angels showed up to them, which would be a little disturbing because they weren't expecting that. And typically when angels show up, it can be a bad thing because they're in an army. And angels show up to these guys in the middle of the field and it says, don't be afraid. And there's a reason they said that because you would be afraid too. But then they give them a reason not to be afraid. I bring you, get this, good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And they go on to say, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, this was really great news for them because where were they? They are in Bethlehem, city of David. They could just look where they were at. They were on these, these little low hills, and they could look up the hill, and there was Bethlehem, a little town of Bethlehem, just right up on the hill, a walking distance. In fact, most of them probably had their homes there. That the Messiah had come to this little tiny town, had come to their house, to, to the most unlikely of places, the one that all of the people had longed for their entire lives. In fact, some of these shepherds were likely raising sheep to be sacrificed in the temple at the Passover, right? And waiting for the Messiah to come and finally cleansing all people for their sins. Their entire livelihood was a time of waiting and a preparation, and yet God announced to them the holy angels didn't overpass them, didn't go just a few miles to the other side to go to Jerusalem and talk to the king, didn't go to Jerusalem and talk to the high priest, didn't go there. No, it didn't even go to Bethlehem, to the people that were in that city, to the, to the rabbi that was there. No, the angels came to these guys in darkness, watching over sheep with this amazing news, good news and the effect of that good news was great joy and the great joy isn't just for ev anybody it's for everybody for all the people and it's a joy that's not based in some type of philosophy and it's not some type of joy that's based in just some theology it's a joy that is based in real time and real history today right here your messiah has come and so we remember John 1.11, which said, to all those who did receive him, to all those who recognized him, right? They received an amazing right, a new identity, a new peace, a new hope. They became the children of God. So what do the shepherds do? They hear this stuff, angels show up, and it says the host. That doesn't mean, like when I was a kid, I thought that was like you go to a restaurant, you know, like the host. It's like standing there in a nice suit or whatever, seats you at your table. And I just thought heaven must have had a lot of those. Well, they're going to have a big old meal when we get there, right? That wasn't my thoughts. So I thought all these waiters were up there in heaven. Maybe they had their little booths or something. I don't know. That's how they could tell they were hosts. And then they started singing. And like, oh, la, la, 
And I was like, okay, that makes sense. No, host means armies. These, these were battle-hardened angels. Read terrifying. And instead of drawing their swords, they're singing, there's peace on earth and goodwill towards mankind on whose God's favor rests. What an amazing, astonishing thing. They got good news and a show, and it was awesome. And then, and then, the angels left. What are they going to do? Well, the next thing is, so they hurried off. No, duh. They saw that little village. They're going to go find this thing. It says they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, right? And when they had seen him, get this, there was something amazing that, that heaven spoke and they found it. What did they do? They keep themselves? No, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. And there were a lot of people in Bethlehem to be amazed. Remember, Mary and Joseph were in a manger, which is really a cave, for a reason. Because the town was pretty well packed. And they would go through the streets, these shepherds who were mostly not welcome, and they would say, your Messiah is here, and he's in that manger. And they would be amazed, as you would, and some probably skeptical. But then it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She had a rough night, but a beautiful night. It was a long day. But what has God done? I, I imagine for her, the expectation was the Messiah would come and be somehow, you know, heavenly. And yet, it was so pedestrian. She didn't even get a room in the Hilton or nothing. Like, you're carrying God the child. You think you get to Bethlehem, she's pregnant, and you're like, okay, well, God's going to set this up. God the Father's going to take care of us. We're going to be in a nice place, all that. And they show up, there's no room. They're like clearing out, you know, manure and things like this, trying to clear a clean space to give birth and to put the baby there. I mean, Joseph was working like crazy, negotiating, trying to find a spot, right? They get there, she gives birth, it's dark, it's cold, it's common. There was no royal robes, right? There wasn't, there wasn't the angels there singing, you know, it's a very just uber plain and didn't probably match her expectation as to what she thought this must have been. And then some grubby old shepherds show up, which is not the time you want to welcome guests, especially people you don't know. And like, show us your kid. Is he wrapped in cloths? Is he in a manger? Look, he's wrapped in cloths and in a manger. The angel said that. And they would tell Mary and Joseph these things. And they would know that God had seen. And this was not just a figment of their imagination. No wonder she pondered these things in her heart. Why did she get to see the angels? She didn't have to. She got to behold the light of the world. What an amazing thing. And in that silence and saw the commonplace... The infinite became finite. God became one of them. And the hopes of the nation, which they longed for for generation after generation after generation, was manifest right there, weak and helpless. What an amazing thing. No wonder she pondered in her heart. Now, the shepherds did not ponder. They had seen something awesome. And God had proved that it was real. So the shepherds returned. They had to go back to work. 
Right? They weren't able to use this as an excuse. The sheep still needed to make sure that no one's going to steal them. But they were changed. Their life and their circumstance, it had not changed. It's not like after this moment they went on a speaking tour. It's not like, you know, all of a sudden it's like, okay, we saw the angels, we saw the Messiah. We don't have to go back to being a shepherd and going out in the fields and being forgotten about by society. No. Their life stayed exactly the same from a human perspective. But from a real perspective, it changed drastically, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They experienced God, they found him, and they were changed from the inside out. It was a big night. They, they went from obscurity to the spotlight. Right? I mean, can you imagine those guys being born and say, you know, 2,000 years from now, little kids are going to dress up like you and do like little plays all the time, like you're going to be like a star role. And they say, can you imagine? There are going to be little figurines carved of you guys throughout the entire world. It's going to be awesome. They never would have thought that. And yet, from obscurity to the spotlight to the, the armies of heaven themselves honoring them with the announcement, the first announcement of this birth. They went from outcast to the inner circle. They went from a place of fear and they found joy, an inexplicable, beautiful, everlasting joy. So how did the shepherds find this joy? Because if I heard the angels right, it's a joy for all people. So how can it be for us? Well, let's look what the shepherds did. First thing is they looked in the right place, right? The angels showed up. Heaven spoke to them and said, this is what I want you to look for. There is a baby in a manger. Now, that's the first thing that makes it a little different. Wrapped in cloths. God told them exactly. Heaven spoke. This is where I want you to look. This is going to be your Messiah, which would be a contradiction to everything that they're expectation would have told them is where a messiah would be born a messiah would tell you would be born somewhere and with wealth and with power but especially not a manger right that that's, was not what they had expected it's not what their tradition or all that kind of stuff had told them but god spoke heaven spoke and even though it made no sense they went and they went to the stables because that's where mangers are and they found a baby. And once they did, the sec so they looked in the right place. They didn't go to where they thought they should go. They went to where God said to go. And then they recognized the gift. Once they found a baby in a manger wrapped in cloths, this is exactly what the angels told us about. They recognized it. Here's the gift. This is our Messiah. Now, everybody else in that entire town, what did they see? They saw a poor baby, a poor infant, so poor, couldn't even be in a house. You know, very, very unremarkable parents, young, came from Nazareth. Does anything good come from Nazareth? It's like coming from Arkansas, right? They, they show up, and there they are. And you see these parents sitting there, and you have this baby, and everyone else would say, just another poor child in Israel. But the shepherds recognize that this is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the Messiah. That's why they had a different type of experience with this. This is why when they left, they were changed. They were changed because they knew what to look for when they found it, even though it wasn't what 
they in their minds thought it could be or it should be, uh, what a Messiah or a king should look like, they recognized this was the promise. And in that moment, it just looked pretty weak, pretty ordinary, but they knew better. And so the third thing they did is they celebrated in faith. Just to look at a little baby and say, this is going to save us from the Romans, which is what they originally thought, is ridiculous. And even more, to save us from our sins, to save us, you know, here's a, a child who can't control anything, even their own little hands. You've seen like a little baby, they punch themselves in the face all the time because their hands are just wily, right? Yours were too, you just don't remember it. <laughs> and here you have this, this child, unable to take care of itself, completely weak, completely vulnerable, completely poor, has nothing going for him. And to say, I recognize this is our Messiah, this is our Savior this is the one that God has probably been waiting for all of this time. I don't see a child, I see a king. And that's what they celebrated. And that's what they went to go tell everyone. Now, Jesus didn't save them that day. They went back to work. And most of those guys probably worked the rest of their lives doing that same kind of job. Fighting off, you know, bandits and wolves and whatever else shepherds do. Just plain old life. But they were changed because life had changed for them. God was now amongst them. The Savior had come. And I think that we see that they recognized not because of what they had in the moment, but because they knew the implications of what they had seen. That they had a hope which gave them peace. And that was the foundation for their joy. It's kind of like there's a reason for the order of these. In Psalm 96, 11, we read one of my favorite psalms, by the way. It says, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound, and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant, and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. And that's beautiful. But why? Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. So the difference is, not that everything was, you know, uh, everything was perfect, that that there is this jubilant, there's this joy that we have, not because our lives right now are somehow this ideal thing and that God is doing in my life what I expected he would do if God came in power. That's not why, there, that's not the foundation of joy. The joy was the faith of knowing that God is not abandoned us, that God is here and ultimately he is good and what he's doing is something amazing. There is a saving that is taking place, that his presence means that there is reason for real hope and his presence means that we are not at war with God which means that there is a reason for true and inner peace that gives us the ability to have greater peace that's the reason that everything in creation can have joy that God is with us it's remarkable so not so much what I have but who God is and that he has come and that's the foundation of joy so if you want to have joy this Christmas, let's, because that's really where it's at, right? I think we live in a time of year where it's my favorite time, right? I'm like, oh, Christmas. And some people are like, for many, it is the most difficult time of year. And it's true. It's a painful time for, for many, many people. And so we, they, they almost get sick of people like me. They're like, stop being happy because I'm sad. And I get that. So how do you have joy in this particular time? Well, I think the first thing, to separate the difference between joy and happiness. This doesn't have to be the happiest time of year for you. In fact, for many, it's not. I don't think it was the happiest time in life for those shepherds. They had to go out and be in a 
outdoors while everybody else got to be in a nice hotel, right? They were just doing their things, right? That's, that happiness is not the same thing. They're close, and so sometimes we mix them up, and then we get confused. Happiness is this. It's when my reality matches my expectations, or better, in the positive way. So wherever my positive expectations are, if they're met or exceeded, I'm happy, right? So a reason I say positive expectations, like, uh, let's say uh, some of our students just took their finals this week. Let's just say you're like, man, I expect to fail this test. And then you fail the test. You're not happy, right? You, even though it met your expectation, a negative expectation. Let's just say you thought you'd get a 30% and you got a 10%. Now you're really not happy. So it's not that it exceeds your expectation, your positive expectation, something good. So something good happens in your life, at least if it's met it. So if you go to a restaurant and you're like, hmm, I expect that there's going to be a decent meal, people are going to treat me nice, and they do, then you're happy. If it's like over the top, they're like really good food, and the people are really nice, and it doesn't cost very much, somebody pays for your meal, that didn't match your expectation. You're like super happy. You leave there like, woohoo, right? That's happiness. Happiness is great, right? When our reality, our current reality, exceeds our positive expectations, and that's a wonderful thing. And everybody on earth has the opportunity to feel happiness at some point. But also, a lot of times this world doesn't meet my expectations. And I could be sad. I can be disappointed. That's where that is. Joy is different. Joy doesn't look at what I have now, right? My expectations, it's not based upon those things at all. Joy is based upon my hope. What I know is coming, right? Where what I know is going to be next, that joy is based upon not expectations but hope. And the greater my hope is, the greater joy that I can have. Right? For example, I go and I have a lousy meal, but I have hope because I know that I can cook a better meal at my house. And I'm going to eat better things again. Right? I, my hope can be in other things that carries me through the difficulties. And in the joys of life, when things are really, really happy, if my hope is only that my life will always be wonderful like this, at some point it's not going to happen. I'll be discouraged. But if my hope is in something bigger, better, more eternal, then I have reason to be carried through. So hope is an optimism based in reality, right, that is focused on the future, right, or faith, I guess you could say that. So it's a fueled faith optimism based in reality. And that's what the shepherds really uh, got to in this. It says, joy to the world, joy for all. Why? Because the first thing they did is they looked in the right place. And so I think for us, if we want to have real joy in our life, we have to look in the right place. If you're looking at your own life right now and asking, does my life right now meet the expectation, the positive expectation that I had for it? You may have happiness for a moment, or you may be sad in the moment. But here's the thing, life's dynamic. You're going to have happy days and sad days, right? And that's not how joy works. The, the ups and downs of happiness is wonderful. I'm glad that God gives us happiness, and sometimes we watch sad movies and listen to sad songs because we want to bring ourselves down a little bit so that the next happiness will be even better, right? That's just the way it is. But joy is not like this. It's not a yo-yo. And if we want to have real joy in our life, we have to look in the right place. And so many in our world think that they're going to find joy by looking at their circumstances. They're going to have their expectations of things right now. And if their joy is there, you're going to be like the shepherds if they wandered back, not to Bethlehem, to a cave, but if they went to the palace looking for the Messiah, you're not going to find him there. That if you want to have real joy, you're going to have to look where God tells us to look for joy. 
And, and that may be very unexpected for us, but I tell you, it will change you. So where does the world tell us to look for joy? Oftentimes in money. Are you financially well off? Are you comfortable right now? Or do you have pleasures, the things that you want, the fun things there? you have fame? Do you have power? Right? I think oftentimes uh, kids this time of year think they'll find joy in the right present under the tree. And older people, we think of we'll find joy if we have the right people around the tree that join us. And if we think if we have those things, then I will have joy. And I'm going to tell you, you may have happiness if the right things align just the right way for you. But God has a better gift for you. And the promise was this, not happiness, but joy to the world. And you're going to have to find it in the right place. So how do you find it? You have to listen to the voice from heaven. Because as humans, we don't know where to look for joy on our own. God has done something wonderful for us. And the scripture tells us where to find real joy. In fact, it's kind of in a crazy place. James 1-2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? I would never have expected to find joy in my trials. That's not at all where I would think joy would be found, right? But the Bible says, just as the angels, hey, if you want to find a king, go look in a manger. Sometimes our joy is found in our difficulties. So do you have problems? Well, good for you. You have a reason for joy. God has put joy in your life. Now, notice this. It doesn't say, computer people, happiness when you have trials of many kinds. That's silly. Don't be happy about having troubles. You'd be a weirdo. We look forward to heaven when there's no problems, right? That's what we're looking for, paradise. So it's not like we're weirdos as Christians be like, oh, I've got problems, yay. No, no, no. And notice this, it doesn't say consider it pure joy that you have trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy whenever you face them. Because here's the reality, everyone faces trials of all kinds. But we who have received Christ have something amazing that when we face these trials and we're not happy, we have also pure, unadulterated joy that's in them. How? Why? We'll look at the next verse. It says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature, complete, lacking, not lacking anything. Do you want to not lack anything? I want to not lack anything. I look forward to the day I not lack anything. That's going to be a good day. Right now, clearly, I lack a something. But there's a time coming. And when I have troubles in my life, it means that the sovereign God has handpicked my suffering has for my good. And he is at work in the midst of this. And the pagans do not have that joy because they do not have that hope. They do not have the promise that God is with them, working through them, and saving them currently. But when I have troubles, they have only come, it says in Scripture, that God works together all things for the good of those who love them, who are called according to his purpose. And that means even my trials. So if you are facing difficulty, God has not abandoned you under the darkness, but he has joined you in there. And you're going to find that joy, his promise in the midst of the most unlikely of places. So we are not happy we have troubles. We are not happy that we have difficulties in life. But I do have joy because when I have troubles, I know God is using them, overcoming them. And someday it's leading for my benefit as well as to his glory. That's a difference. And what is it my benefit? At some point, this is making me into the person I need to be so I can experience perfection and be able to enjoy it. 
So my trials are not the evidence of that God is gone from my life. Everybody has trials. My trials now are evidence that God is working in my life. I have to look in the right places. Now, let me put a caveat there. Scripture does say if you're boneheaded and you cause yourself suffering because you're being stupid, God will still use that. But don't be stupid. Right? So if, if you're doing dumb stuff and you're being mean to people and you're wondering, why does everybody leave me? Well, this horrible trial. It's because you're being dumb. Right? Be kind and compassionate and good. Right? B lead your life into conformity to his will and you're probably going to suffer a whole lot less. But it wasn't a great thing that even if you're being stupid, he's using that to help you become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So even when you have troubles, you can find joy there. Look in the right place. And that's why James 1.17, just a couple of verses after he tells us that is pure joy when we face trials of many kinds, he says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God is not capricious in his goodness. He is just and he is good all of the time. God is good all of the time. Even when my life's not good, God is good even in the midst of that. And so we don't be deceived. The world and the devil is always telling you, I've got a good gift for you. It's going to be so great. Try this fruit, right? And we're like, oh, num, 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 num. and then it's not so good. But God's gifts are good. He doesn't change. And he's not going to renege on this promise. If you are his child and you're in this life, the blessings that you have come from him. And the difficulties you have have been curated for your sanctification. In all things, God is at work in your life for your benefit, for his glory. That's wonderful, and he's never going to change. It's like a candle, right? The light itself on the candle will always just show light. It doesn't cast darkness. And God will never cast darkness into your life. So, if I'm going to find joy, I've got to look in the right place. I've got to recognize not just my circumstances, but in my circumstances, what do I have to see? Jesus. There's a reason why God is working all things together for my good, isn't it? Because I have a Messiah who has come. I have a Savior who actually came in flesh and a person, who died very physically on a cross, who rose very historically from a grave. I have a God who is a real God, who did real things, and the Holy Spirit who's actually moved into my life. The very real, the very tangible presence of the Messiah is, is what I see. So, when I have troubles in my life, I'm recognized, yes, the world has always been fa fallen, but I have a Savior who's come, and he was raised from the dead, and he promised me, I'm at working, I'm at work right now in the midst of your difficulties. I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to abandon you. Aaron, I created you perfectly, wonderfully, you're my masterpiece, to do good works, which I prepared for in advance for you to do. I have I've given you everything that's necessary to succeed in this, and even your difficulties, they're honing you, preparing you for glory. And so even in the trial, I see Jesus. In the difficulties, I see Christ. And in the joys, in, in the happy times, when good things come, they're not just because the devil is better than God, but my God brings good things and happy things into my life too. And blessings and, and, and kindness and wealth and health and friendships and all of those things, I see his love for me. Not because I was perfect or deserve it, but because Jesus is my creator of all things and all gifts come from him. So what do I see? I don't see what I'm going through, my circumstances. I learn to look in the right place. In my life, I look for Christ. Once you look in the right place, recognize the gift. I mean, a lot of people uh, saw the baby as just an ordinary child, but the angel or the, the shepherds, no, they saw a miracle savior. 
right? They looked in the right place, and once they saw it, they had to recognize what was seemingly ordinary. They had to see the extraordinary within it. They had to see the divine at work in amongst the common. And it's the same in our life. We're going to experience very common difficulties just because we're people. Right? You're going to have times in your life that you're going to be sick. You're going to have health issues. You're going to have relationship issues because you live around other sinners. And you are too. Right? We're going to have all kinds of troubles in our life that are just common amongst all people. But now you have the promise of God. Heaven has spoken. The Messiah has come. He is with you. And if you look for Jesus there, then recognize his work. What that means is in the trials that you're facing today, the hardships where life isn't meeting your expectations and you're feeling disappointment and discouragement, look for Jesus there. Find your, your hope in him. God, I can't fix this. I wish it were different, but I'm glad to know that you are making all this work together so I am mature and complete and not lacking anything. I'm afraid of what I'm going to do for my future or how I'm going to pay for these things, but I'm grateful to know that, God, you're my provider, and I'm looking for you in the midst of this difficult thing. Or my health, I just can't get my body to work right, and the doctors can't seem to figure it out, right? And I hurt, and it's difficult for me, right? And and in the midst of that, you look for Jesus. He has not abandoned you. Isn't it great? He's going to give you a new body, but even now, he says he's working in the suffering, and our hope was never been and to be perpetually 25, right? That would be horrible. That we actually get a glorified body. He's at work right now. So by faith, you've got to look and recognize the Savior at work in your life. But you know, it also goes the other side. You're going to have blessings in your life, and I think this is the harder test. Things are really good. And then we say, I don't need you, God. And we fail to recognize Jesus in the blessing. Don't we? I've got happiness. People like me. I've got more time or money, whatever I thought I would ever have. Well, I did that. Look at the world gave me these good things. Aren't I fortunate? No, you're blessed. God has done something good in your life. Look for Jesus. So recognize him. Recognize God in the seemingly ordinary. You will find him. He loves you. He's at work within you. And as we do that, then you've got to celebrate in faith. Celebrate. That's one of the things that we do this time of year. It's a wonderful reminder that all of this that we talk about is not some type of just spiritual mumbo-jumbo. This is not something that we do to kind of get like a spiritual rah-rah to, to give us a, a, a numbness on our, our soul so that we can handle the harshness of life. That's not what this is about at all. Jesus came, God came in the person of Jesus. Like the incarnation, it was a real thing that happened in real time, in real space, in a real place, right? Like, like this is real. And that means that our Savior has come, that our hope is not in vain. It's not not on some kind of trust me story. It's not a a fairy tale. That God is, if he rose from the dead and said, now I'm sending my Holy Spirit to be with you, he's going to do that. I mean, he he did all the stuff to prove he had the ability to. If he says, I'm coming back, he's coming back. If he came once to die on a cross, I guarantee he's coming back to claim his throne. And the shepherds, they celebrated in faith. They saw a little baby and they recognized and celebrated their Savior. Not because of what he was doing for them in the moment, but because they knew what he would do. And it's the same thing for you. Wherever you are, celebrate in faith the work of God. Christmas gives us the anchor, right? It gives us the truth that allows our joy to be built upon so it can be fueled by our faith. And I think it's pretty cool. Just as Jesus was not done doing his work in the manger, God is not done in his work in your life either. 
because as best I can tell, none of you are completely mature, complete, or lacking anything. Right? So God is still at work. So have joy. In the midst of the blessings, in the midst of the hardships, see Jesus. Look in the right place. And if you find yourself trying to place your joy in having the right gift or the right people, the right circumstances, let me encourage you, you can have those for happiness, but for your joy, for the thing that's going to carry you through, look to Christ. Is he at work in your life? Yes. And if you found him, recognize that. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. And the light of Christ will illuminate you with a heavenly joy that others will not be able to deny. So how do you put that in your life this week? How do you find joy this Christmas? Well, on your connection cards. First one, please, memorize John 8, 12. This is the Savior of the world, and this is how he identified himself. I am the light of the world. What a wonderful thing. In the dark world, he has come, but get this. Whoever follows me, he said, will not walk in darkness, right? But will have the light of life. What a promise. And sometimes in the midst of our darkness, we need to remember the reality, the hope that we have that gives us peace, that allows you to have joy in the midst of the difficulty that God is at work and you are walking in the light of life. And today is not forever and forever is going to be pretty darn great. And God's at work right now building that into your heart. Something else you might want to do, read Psalm 96, one of my favorite psalms. Trees are singing, you have, uh, your streams are singing, you all kinds of stuff, glorifying God. Read it. It's a happy, uplifting, amazing psalm. Because the promise at that point was a thousand years off that God would come, and he has. Next thing you want me to do this week is commit to this. Look in the right place, recognize the Savior in your life, and celebrate him intentionally. Right? That's going to take uh, faith, a mental effect, right? You're going to have to work at that to say, what am I looking for here? And look especially the areas you're feeling disappointed in. Look to find the Savior. Or if you're particularly happy. Are you looking to find God's blessing in that? Recognize him and celebrate him this year. Last thing I'm going to invite you to do is to invite a friend. Why? Because next week is Christmas Eve, which is super fun. And we're going to have two services. In fact, in your bulletin, I want you to see There's a card you have to see here. This is important for you because you're going to miss out if you don't read it right. So I'm going to walk it through with you. You want to invite a friend because on Christmas Eve we celebrate the love of God and then in the evening we're going to celebrate the light of Christ that he's coming. And we have a candlelight service. We pass the light through the candles. It's super fun. Everyone likes to sing while you're holding flames. So it's amazing. And uh, it's going to be awesome. So, but it's different next week. If you show up at 8 o'clock, you're going to help us set up. That's going to be what it is. Because <laughs> if you turn the card over, you'll notice we have one service next week and it's at 10 o'clock. So what time is it? 10 o'clock, right? So you guys get to sleep in. That's your Merry Christmas gift, right? <laughs> it's going to be easier to invite a friend. So you want to bring a friend. So it has the time on there. And then the evening, our second service, is where we light the candle of Christ, the Christ candle, and pass the light. That's going to be at 530, right? That's going to be, that's on this card as well. So now you know what time. Oh, yeah, I'm showing up at 530. Six o'clock. <laughs> Six o'clock. I, I was. Thank you for that. Yeah. So 6 o'clock, invite your friends, 10 o'clock, 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock will be here. We're going to have a lot of fun. Invite a friend because we'll be talking about Christ, and I'll be sharing the gospel, and it's going to be a time of celebrating God's love and his light in our lives. So please, maybe this week, this is a great time to be able to invite one of those that you are, um, you're, you've been praying for. Of course, if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what a great day for you to be here, right? 
the joy that we have, but the joy in order to be yours is you have to accept Jesus. You have to find him. And if you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what a perfect time of year to do that. And so if you need to make, take that step, then I want to encourage you, after this message is done, I'm going to be up here in the front. Just come talk with me. We'll help you take those steps of faith, be able to follow the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You'll be born again, give you a whole new identity. You'll be a child of God. And then the joy that is our birthright in his kingdom will be yours as well. So please don't uh, miss out on that. For all of us, though, we have something to commit to. So please uh, make those connections. Put on your connection card because you know what I want for Christmas more than anything are those filled out connection cards, right? That makes me so happy. So everyone can just drop one in the offering basket as it's passed. Let me know what your commitments are. It's on the back side of that. And uh, yeah, let's grow closer to Christ this week as we celebrate him in joy. Let me pray for you as you make those commitments. Father God, thank you for your love and your kindness, your mercy and your goodness. Lord, thank you that you give us reason for joy. Now, Father, as we make commitments, we bring our offerings to you. May they be an expression of worship, us centering our lives around you. May they come back into balance. Let us be able to, to look for you in our lives in the right place. Help us to recognize you and your work in our lives, Lord. And I pray also that you give us the faith to celebrate you uh, and the good things that you're doing in this life as we await the return of, of Christ our Savior. Uh, and we pray that would be soon. But now, please use our gifts and abilities to build his kingdom now amongst us, in our hearts, as well as our community, for your glory. I pray that in Jesus' name.